Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Very happy to be welcoming author, grief coach, and life transition coach, Cindy Bauman, who has four adult sons, one of whom is on the other side. Cindy is married and will be speaking to us today from Tomahawk, Wisconsin. During the 25 years, Cindy co-owned and grew a multi-million dollar marketing firm. She received numerous professional and volunteer awards and a nomination for the Athena Award, which celebrates leaders for their professional excellence, community service, and for actively assisting women in attainment of their highest potential. Cindy is also the author of a recently released poignant memoir titled Grief Warrior, A Journey of Hope and Courage to the Other Side of Traumatic Loss. In it, she describes her gut-wrenching grief after the loss of her son, Sean, the incredibly courageous healing path she chose, and the inspiring transformation, rebirth, hope, and peace that ensued. I'm looking forward to talking with Cindy about her, her memoir, Grief Warrior, the multiple traumas she went through that taught her resilience, the different therapies and techniques she used to heal, her new coaching career, and more for what is surely going to be an inspiring and unforgettable interview. Hi, Cindy. A warm welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Well, thank you, Irene. Um, I have listened to so many of your podcasts, and it's such an honor to be a guest on your show today. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. That means so much. So let's get everybody to know you the way I sort of know you now. So how about starting with your journey from Midwest farm girl with four siblings to a rising executive to a fast track life to a screeching halt in 2007 when, when Sean passed? Well, I grew up in this little tiny town um, in north, north central Wisconsin. And like I mentioned in my book, the population never was over 300, even during a baby boom. <laughs> and I had three sisters and a brother. Um, we had one bathroom in our house. So getting ready for school was always fun fighting for the, the bathroom. <laughs> And we were, we, we grew up Catholic, so very traditional, um, you know, religion. We went to church every Sunday. We had CCD class every Wednesday. And yeah, it was, you know, it was a, it was a fun area to grow up in fun because we were really a close knit family and we did a lot of 
you know, outside activities, a little different from today. We played softball in the field. We had horses and we rode horse and we went to the lake in the summer. We were just a busy family and my parents worked very hard. And I think that instilled in me from a very young age, um, a good work ethic. And I, but I knew that there are, you know, there would be some, there might be something more for me outside that little town. And when my parents decided to remodel their house, I fell in love with the contractor, (laughs) one of the contractors. Um, He was, you know, a a good looking guy from our area. Um, He was in college, which was intriguing to me. And I, you know, we, we started to date, um, my parents weren't crazy about it because we were, you know, I was young. What were and, you at the time, about 17 or 18? Or well, we got, yeah, we got married at 17, right oh out of high gosh. school. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right out of high school. And our plans changed. We were going to move away to this college town and he was going to finish school and I was going to go to college. And our plans changed and his family wanted him to take the family farm. So he felt that was kind of his duty to do so. And so, you know, my little glimmer of leaving that little town kind of went away for a while. But, you know, I just, I guess I thought, well, we'll make the best of it. Well, we, you know, we had multiple things in our relationship that we had to deal with. And the hardest was the the illness of our second son, um, who ended up, having cancer at three months, which I had never even heard of a child three having months cancer. old and he had cancer. Yeah. Three months oh my old. God. And we were, you know, we had been, I was visiting my family and my mom looked into his eyes and said, Cindy, do you know that Sean's pupil on one eye is only, you know, half the size of the other? And I'm like, no. So we took him in and they were checking for fluid on the brain and, to make a long story short, they sent me to this hospital where I was like, Ooh, only really sick people go to this hospital. But I, I had no clue what they were looking for. And they did a chest X-ray and said there was a growth in his chest. And I'm like, okay, well remove it. (laughs) And again, they still didn't say anything to me. So we went through like two weeks of testing all kinds of different scans and just everything. And it wasn't until they did a bone marrow biopsy where I was like bone marrow biopsy. You know, that sounds to me like cancer. And then the doctor said, yes, we are suspecting this to be um, a malignant tumor. At three months old. And I just couldn't get my arms around that. Uh, I didn't know any children that have had cancer and any adult that I knew had died. So I, it was just the start of our journey of, of just this challenging illness, which isolated us from the world for a very long time. How heart-wrenching for you. Oh, it was, for you. Yes, it was, it was really, it was really hard for both of us. And we, you know, the, we did the best we could. Um, we, it, it was back then the treatments were different than today. So we went through Oh, about almost three years of treatments, multiple surgeries. Poor little guy. Yes. Heartbreak, one heartbreak after another there. 
but he was such an amazing kid and he never even growing up afterwards he never had the woe is me why did I have to go through this in my life attitude and when we we ended up beating the odds, which I talk about in the book. I go through more detail, obviously, in my book about this. But we we beat all the odds. And he grew up to be this amazing young man who wanted to become a doctor. And well, obviously, because he'd been surrounded by doctors who helped him. That right. would be very, that would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And you also, while you were doing all of this, you had this amazing, vibrant career. Um, not at that time. Not at that time. I, um, at that point, I was just trying to take care of my child and we had a farm. So I had to kind of learn how to farm. Some, my grandparents farmed when we were little and that's a life I really didn't want, but I jumped in, I figured it out. I helped and did what I could. Um, but it was after the illness was over when our marriage from the, the illness crumbled. Uh, and really, honestly, back then, I wish they would have really offered professional help because we needed help. We didn't well, you were know. babies and then you had a baby who was sick. Right. We didn't know how to navigate that illness. We didn't know how to live with each other. We, we Every waking moment was on that sick child. And we were drowning in the finances of the farm. It was just, it was too much. So when we got through the, the illness, um, our marriage crumbled, um, divorced. I moved out. I moved to this bigger city and thought, well, you know, I'm going to go to school now. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to try to find out, figure this life out for my family. And it was hard. It was hard on both of us. I mean, I, the day that I, that I drove away from our home was, you know, I can still feel it in my, my heart. It just, it still breaks my heart because those little kids didn't know what was going on. Their whole world just got erupted, you know, interrupted with this divorce. And it was, it was heartbreaking. You endured house fires too, didn't you? We had a house fire. Then we lost our home. Um, And this was before the divorce? This was before the divorce. What yeah. else could have could be yeah. on you? My God. I don't know. I was was pregnant with our first child. And I woke up in the middle of the night because, of course, you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I woke up to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, what's that noise? There's a cracking noise. And I woke up my husband. And he ran downstairs because we had burned wood. And he checked the wood stove. And everything was fine. He came back upstairs. And he got back in bed. And I'm like no, wait, I still hear it. It's coming from upstairs. So he went to open, we had like a staircase up above our room. And thank goodness that his, this was his home growing up and his family had moved out or there would have been little kids sleeping up there. And he opened the door and smoke just billowed out. Oh my God. And I, you know, I tried to call the fire department and our phone was dead. So I ran to the barn to try to call and I couldn't get through and I called my mom and then on the way back I fell on my back on the ice and then they thought I was gonna I was pregnant and they thought I was gonna lose the baby and it was yeah I didn't lose the baby but that was just 
yeah, that was, there was just one thing after the other that kind of happened to us. And I, I, you know, you're just, you don't even really kind of take time to kind of deal with all these things that are, that you're, that you're suffering from, you just kind of stuff them. So each trauma was just kind of stuffed. And I would learn later in my life that those had to be dealt with. (laughs) I would say so. And then also later in your life, before we even get to what happened with Sean, also later in your life, you had cancer yourself, didn't you? I did. Yes. After, after I lost or after we lost Sean, um, it was about two years in and I had, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I actually believed that I willed it to myself because I, after losing him, I just wanted to die. I did not want, I couldn't handle the pain in my heart and I just wanted to die. So when I, when I ended up with breast cancer, mind connection, yeah, I thought, you know, this is my ticket out. This, I, this is it. Yay. (laughs) Well, then after going through all the tests, I found out that it was caught early. And now I was a little angry because it was something that I had to deal with. And it was just getting in the way of my grief. So we went through a variety of different um, options there. And finally, I made a choice that would, would kind of be was right for me at the time because I couldn't deal with grief and breast cancer. And I had to check one of them off my list and gr- the grief wasn't going anywhere. So I had gone through a, a double mastectomy to wow. rid the, the cancer from my wow. body. Wow. Now you talk about in the book and we haven't everyone, we haven't even started with, with the main event that happened to, to Cindy, but when you talk about in the book that all of these uh, challenges strengthened you and taught you about resist, resilience. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, yes. So first of all, back to the breast cancer, I believe that in addition to, you know, I wanted to check out, <laughs> but I believe God also wanted me to realize that I did want to live, you know, that I did want to live. And I think the resilience in me came from little on, and going through all the different things in my life, I was always taught to, you're going to make the best of it, optimistic, glass is half full. And I was, I was able to do that with everything. I mean, the illness, I was able to, I cried myself to sleep every single night. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that later, but I cried. So I cried myself to sleep every single night, just begging to keep my child. And I was able to keep him and the fire that was devastating, but we all had our lives. We were all living. We all had each other after the fire and then going through the breast cancer and then another house fire. I lost another house. What are the chances in a fire? You know, it was just going through all these different setbacks in my life that I think I developed resilience until I lost my son. And at that point, when I lost my son, in fact, back up a little bit, my counselor even said that I just, resilience is the word that he described me as I was resilient. And then when I lost my son, 
I, I describe it as having this box stuffed with all these traumas high up on a shelf in my closet. You hadn't dealt with them yet? Nope. They're all up there. I thought I dealt with them. <laughs> they're all up there. And then when I lost my son, boom, they came down, hit me in the head. And I had to unpack that box and deal with every little thing inside, you know, from, from my failed marriage, from the cancer of my, my son that I just kept marching forward through, even though I cried myself to sleep from the house fires from this, you know, the, the things that we lost in those fires, um, the security that I lost, the fear that I gained um, to the loss of my son, which more fear, anxiety, PTSD. So I had to deal with all of those things before I could start to heal from that loss. I'm, it's, it's a really great um, the word I'm saying is it's such a great example for people about how you just can't compart how you if you compartmentalize all your issues and problems and challenges eventually one day yes, yes. yes. There and they yes. trip you up in ways that you don't even have any idea which yeah. is why what you're doing now as a coach is so wonderful to help people and I have to say honestly I don't know how I would have gotten through my grief without a life transition coach too, but we are ahead of ourselves. So let's talk about Sean. Um, tell us about this beautiful person, your son, Sean, your relationship with him um, and the way you bonded with him and the night God visited you with a message about him uh, and then move into his tragic death that left you with PTSD. Oh, well, I love talking about Sean. Sometimes it's hard, but I, I love talking about him. He sounded like when I read the book, just a beautiful human being. He was, he was a beautiful soul. And I thought about that a lot after I lost him, you know, even more, but he was kind. He was compassionate. He was always there to help somebody he would come home from college and he would help his brothers with whatever they had. This Not is your second marriage, right? This is right, my second marriage. marriage. Yes. Yes. I had two more boys. So with a total of four boys and um, my older two, Ryan and Sean were like 11 years older than my younger two. So there was quite an age difference, but those older boys just loved the little boys. <laughs> and he would come home from college and just, be that, you know, they, they all looked up to him. Um, he was that glue, I always said in the family, and he would be the one they would go to for help because he would never say, oh, go figure that out, or I'm too busy for you. And if I needed to do something like pick out a new comforter, something even silly, he would, he would never like make fun of me or say, oh, mom, you can do that yourself. He would come with me. And, you know, I just, I loved the relationship we had. Just And of course it started with, it had to have its roots in how close you were when he was sick. Yes. I mean, I remember when he was, um, was ill, I literally, to, to calm him, I would sleep in the crib with him at the hospital. And they would, when they would come every morning to draw blood, I remember a couple of times them saying, which one is it? Because <laughs> we were so entwined and, you know, tucked into each other. 
um, because, but it was the only thing that would comfort him, you know, just that closeness. So yes, it started way back then. And we just, we just had this bond that continued to grow as he was an adult and his, um, he, he married this lady, this wonderful girl named Julia, sweet Julia. And his father read at um, the funeral and the, and the wake and said that, you know, how a, a man is going to treat his wife by the way he treats his mother. Oh. And Sean and Cindy had an incredible relationship. And we did, we did, you know, he would stop at my office at work. Um, and we just, I knew he loved spending time with me. And I loved spending time with him. So that, you know, he would call me almost every day, he would call um, my husband, which would be his stepfather, which they had another, they had an incredible relationship. He would call him almost every other day. And he had to place those calls either at my husband's lunch hour or break because my husband punched a clock and he only had a 930 break from 930 to 945 and his lunch break was 12 to 1230. So several times a week he would call Kevin. So when we, you know, when we lost Sean, it was just this instant, no communication. I didn't get a text message to pick up milk on my way home. I didn't get, you know, any phone calls anymore at work. And just everything just kind of stopped. Uh, And that was, you know, that was so difficult. But then I thought, you know, it, it took me a long time to get to this point. But I did think back to when Sean was ill. And back to me crying myself to sleep every night. And in the middle of the night, one night, as I was crying myself to sleep, like I did every night, and my poor husband did not know what to say or do, in the middle of the night, something woke me. And I will never forget this feeling. Um, And I've prayed for this to happen again to me. But I was, something woke me, and there was something in my room that I couldn't see, I couldn't hear, but I could feel. And yet there was this telepathic message that I received. And and I believe, you know, it was God. And God said to me, well, I should back up a minute and explain where we were at in the treatment because Sean had finished his chemotherapy. And now that the chemotherapy was gone, I was afraid that nothing was keeping the monster of cancer away. So now my fears turned into, what are we going to do to keep this away? Right. (laughs) So I cried and cried and could not find peace in my heart anywhere. And that night when God visited me, he said, everything is going to be okay. And he repeated it. Everything is going to be okay. It was just so soft. And And from that day forward, I had peace in my heart. I knew I wasn't going to lose him to that disease. And then when I lost him. So tell us about how you lost him. Oh. Such a tragic way for that to happen. Oh. So he had been in college and he was studying for medical school. Um, He had just gotten married in August to, to Julia, which we loved Julia. 
and her family. You know, take your time. It's still hard to talk about it. And um, they were home for Thanksgiving week. They came home a lot, but they were home for Thanksgiving weekend, which was a big weekend in Wisconsin. And Sean was, a he liked to bow hunt, but he was not a big gun hunter. So he was home and I was shopping with my sisters on this Black Friday, which was a tradition. And I didn't, we talked a couple times that day and I didn't even, he hadn't even planned on going hunting. So, you know, we talked a couple times. I got home that night from shopping and my one said, said, you just missed Sean. And I'm like, where did he go? And he says, well, he decided last minute to go hunting with the group. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I tried to call him and I, he was out of cell service. I missed him. And so the next morning, um, I get this, I tried him again that night, missed him again. The next morning I get this call about 1130 in the morning, it's 11 something. And it was my daughter-in-law, not the, not his wife, but my other son's wife. And she was just crying uncontrollably. And in my, I felt, I just felt that there was something horrible, but she said, it's, it's Sean. There's been a horrible accident. It's Sean. I didn't even want to know because inside I just had this horrible feeling. And she told me that they were airlifting him to this hospital. And this was to this hospital that saved his life as a child. Wow. 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 So, you know, all of these years later, when he's completely healthy, he has beat all the odds. He was going to med school. He was married to this beautiful girl inside and out. She was a beautiful girl. Um, so we, we head to the hospital and my one son who just got his driver's license drove us. So it was, I was in the front seat, Julia and her mother were in the back, um, back seat. And there were more family members following in a car and we get there. And well, on the way there, this was another profound, profound experience, but on the way there, I was just sobbing so hard and it was a gray, dreary day in Wisconsin. We have a lot of those up here. <laughs> and all of a sudden, um, we, we lived in Wausau, Wisconsin. And the, the drive was about a 45-minute drive. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I catch this beam of sun breaking through the clouds. Wow. And it was so bright that it caught my attention and I immediately felt that I was losing my son, even though I had no idea what had happened. I mean, I, I knew there was an accident, but it could have been, he could have been shot in the leg. He could have been shot in the arm. Right. I didn't know. And we get to the hospital and we're, we're just waiting and waiting. And they, he doesn't arrive. He doesn't arrive. They're supposed to airlift him. He doesn't arrive. Um, I am just breaking down and the chaplain is telling me to calm down. And I'm like, calm down. How can I calm down? And I said, call, he's supposed to be coming. So 
then all of a sudden they direct us to this tiny little room. She walks in, the chaplain walks in and just says, he's not, your son's not coming. Um, he didn't make it. Oh my God. She just blurted it out. And I, we fell to the floor and could not believe what we just heard. Devastating. Oh, so then we, we started to drive back to Wasa, drive back to the, our home. And we just got back to town and we get another call that we need to come to the hospital where they took him. They took him to this little hospital first before they were going to airlift him when he didn't make it. And they said, you need to come here. So we, again, take this drive and now it's another hour drive in the other direction and we're driving, and again, the sky grabs my attention, and it's the most vivid, bright, beautiful sunset that I had ever seen, and have yet seen to this day, and again, I knew that it was, there was more to this, and we get to the, we, we get to the hospital, and the minute we got there, I knew why we were there, I'm like, no way, I am not going in because if I go in, I have to accept this and I will not accept this. And they literally had to drag me, us, both of us in, but drag me and I could still feel my hands holding onto the door frame as they pulled me through because I did not want to go in there. And then of course we... You went through that went through that yeah. and then and then there was a wake and you had a, 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 a i mean you felt his spirit through the whole thing and then there was a wake and someone came in who you thought was an angel and you received other heavenly signs from sean yes what would want to tell us that amazing part of your story yes so during during the wake one of the visitors who came through said he was a teacher of Sean's when he was in school. And he said, I was just going through his artwork um, guess, you know, just the other day. And he said, I'll send it to you. And I could, I looked in his eyes and I thought there was just something magical about his eyes that, and I just felt that there was an angel kind of visiting me to say, Hey, he's okay. And I, I never got that artwork but I didn't expect that artwork because I just felt that it was not really his teacher. It was a, a heavenly he a angel. Yes. Visiting me. And, you know, there were numerous things that happened after um, right after I, I explained this in the book where I could feel like my heart literally shaking, like, like, inside like a vibration. Was, like yes. A vibration. Yes, it was a vibration. Like it was I get shaking. that from my husband sometimes. I get a vibration. Do you really? Yes. Oh. Yes. It's hard to explain that. So yeah. Not everybody gets that. And people are like, what? <laughs> but it, it felt like he was shaking me saying, mom, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. It's okay. And I had these little blue angels that somebody gifted me. And they were in my room and they were turned on in my room. And I was having such a hard time. I was crying and crying and crying. And those angels kept getting brighter and brighter. And the harder I cried, the brighter those angels 
God, until my whole room was like covered in this beautiful blue light. Wow. And then for weeks after that, those angels would like appear, they would light up in the middle of the day. And I thought the kids were doing it, but they weren't. And it was just like, I, I would look at those and go, he's trying to tell me that he Mom, is I'm here. here. I'm here. I'm here. Yes. Yes. And I had these pennies in the strange places. And the biggest thing that happens to this day with the pennies is the numbers. Like just before we started our call today, or just as we were starting our call, I had this 111 on my phone. Wow. So I have 111 and I have 1111. Those are the two things. And I always know when I, when I get that, that it is my son and I thank him. You know, the, the angels are with us. He's oh, with he, he sounds like he's such a stellar, gorgeous, beautiful soul. I mean, oh. you really fall in love with him from reading your book. And just, I know this interview is about you, but just to add a touch of levity, uh, when my husband first passed, he was an avid Monday night football uh, fan. And every night for the first three months or four months after he died, Monday night football would magically click on on my TV stay on for about 15 or 20 minutes and then click off. Wow. I didn't touch it. I didn't go near it. And I knew just like with Sean, but Saul in his cheeky way was saying, Hey honey, I'm still here. I'm still watching Monday night football. I'm right here. Wow. That's a cool story. Thank you for <laughs> sharing that. You're welcome. So, you know, they, they really do come through with the flavor of who they are with mm -hmm. things you can recognize. But I really also want to go to how the, this horribly sad time you went through, which I completely understand, and you weren't able to function. You actually had suicidal thoughts and you even attempted suicide. Could you tell us about that wrenching time in your life? That was, wow. How long into, wow. how much into the grieving was that when you were, when you, when that happened to you? How long well, had you been gone? Uh, well, the first time was within that first year. And that's when I was kind of sitting at work, everybody was gone. And, you know, I kind of looked over and I had like a scissors and a leather, a letter opener in my, by my desk. And I thought, boy, you know, it wouldn't take long. I looked down at my wrist and I thought it wouldn't take long. And it would, this would be the best place because then they would, my kids wouldn't find me. That was my concern. My kids wouldn't find me. And it was just really hard to find a reason to go on living, even though I had family. People think this is selfish and they don't understand. And you can't understand until you feel this pain in your heart. I loved all of my children, but the pain was so great in my heart. It was like that unbearable. I, it was, it was unbearable. unbearable. I wanted to run away from it. Mm -hmm. And the second time, well, then, of course, I thought about I had this big bathtub at home. I thought about, could I hold myself under long enough to just drown? You know, so these were all things in my, my mind. And then the other attempt was several years. I hate to admit that it was several years later, but it was. Yeah, but in a way, it's good that you admit it because people know it's a process and it takes time. And what it did was it got you into healing. So we're going to talk about that too. So, right. Tell it is a process and yes, and it did, it does take time and everybody's journey is different. Mm -hmm. 
So I was, my husband and my kids were gone on this fishing trip. So I was alone and I was having a really hard day. And I kind of, I looked out the window and I thought, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm not, I'm not good for my family right now because I live with so much fear and anxiety. I make everybody's life around me miserable. And I don't, I'm not happy with myself, you know, and I just want to escape this pain. So I used to, I still do. I still wear lots of bracelets, um, but I, I wore more than um, on my wrist. And I looked down and the, the pain was so great in my heart. And I, I grabbed a knife <laughs> and, and I had a hard time writing about this. And I, I wrote about it. I took it out. I wrote. Very heart wrenching, but I think it's important because it shows how you were at the bottom and you could hardly go, you couldn't go further. Right. And then, but what did you do with all of that? You didn't stay stuck. It, that motivated you to start your healing path. Yeah. I started where we are today. So. Right. And I, I started cutting and cutting and right on your wrist, right on my wrist. And first of all, I, I understand how you read about people who do that. I wanted the pain to come from my heart down here on my, on my wrist. I wanted it to hurt someplace else. And then I, I just wanted to end it. And I, I, I was cutting and cutting. And finally the, you know, as the blood was kind of really starting to, to drip onto the floor. And I, I, God, I had this like feeling that God must've spoke to me. It was different. It wasn't this telepathic, but I was like, you know, he, he like stopped me and said, this is not the way it ends for you. This is not your time. And I realized then, how would my kids feel that I loved them less? And that was so far from the truth. I loved all of my children. And no, I wasn't done with my journey here. I had to figure this life out. My mission, my son's mission on this earth was done. Mine was not. So I had to figure out how to do this. So, you know, I went to counseling. I'd been, I had been going to counseling, but I admitted to my counselor how dark I got. And that was the turning point where we decided, okay, now it's time for EMDR. And to be honest, which is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. And I know, Irene, you're familiar with this. I am, because I've had EMDR also. And it was the perfect time. Um, I think earlier it would have not been right for me because there was so much I had to process. And I also really had to develop a trust with my therapist. So when we went into EMDR, and I'll, ex I'll explain a little bit about this. It is, yeah. yeah, so they, the therapist kind of, he didn't want to bring me or start me with the loss of my son. He wanted to start me with the, the one of the fires. Right. The minor challenges that would have killed anyone else. He wanted to start you there before we went to the major. Right. 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 He said, let's poke a hole in the balloon. That's how he described it. So we started with the fire. And he would bring me to a point where, and we, we started with the most recent fire first, and that just kept bringing Sean up because he was in that situation. 
And during that, I went into um, shock during that fire. They and they brought me away from the house. They wanted to take me to the hospital, and I did not want to leave my family. So they brought me further away from the house. And Sean looked at me, and he held me, and he looked into my eyes again, caring for somebody else. And he says, "Mom, you can do this. You've been through worse." And I knew he could tell me that because he knew I'd been through his illness with him. And he said, you can do this, mom. How old was he at that time? Oh, this was just a few years before he died. So he was in his 20s. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful soul. Yeah, and um, it was just, um, yeah, it was, so it brought me back to him again through this. And I found out later that I processed EMDR like a creative, not like an engineer, because I jumped <laughs> all over the place. And so he would bring you to this low point, my counselor would, and then you'd, where you're having, where I developed or had my very first panic attack. And then he would have me focus on this bar of lights with my eyes. I would follow these lights back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I would try to stay with that memory throughout the process. And then sometimes it would get a little too overwhelming. And then he would, you know, stop me, bring me back to a happy thought and calm me down. But this EMDR is, is, I'm not going to get into what it all does to you and how it feels, because I talk about that in my book. Right. Which is worth, by the way, everyone, it's really worth getting Cindy's book because you can learn a lot about these different modalities by reading her book. It's very educational that way. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. And I go through all of my different EMDR therapies, what it was like, um, you know, what it felt like, what physical experience I had, but you know, and I wanted to give up, I wanted to give up on it. And after that first one, I was just literally sick to my stomach. It's intense. It's intense. It is. I had no idea it was like that. Exhausting. I felt like I did a, a huge workout, ran a marathon. I was, ex, I, every part of my body hurt. And it was like the, the grief and the trauma is like trying to crawl out of your body. Right. So that next, um, that day, the next day, my counselor called me to check on me. And I'm like, I am not coming back. I can't do this because I know what's ahead of me we're going to have to deal with my son and I can't go there. Right. So I, you know, and he really tried to encourage me. He acknowledged how hard it was. And I said, on a scale of one to 10, what is my PTSD? And where do you think you can get me if I stick this out? And he says, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst, I believe you're at a nine. And he said, if you stick this out and work with me. And we go through this process. I think I can get you to a four. He said, I can't make it go away, Cindy. Certain things in your life have affected you and which is normal. And I can't change that. But he said, I can, I can get you to a four. So that night I went to bed and I prayed for guidance. And the next day I woke up and I said, you know what? I can't live the way I'm living. I can't live in a nine. I'm going to try to go for the four. I have to go for a four. <laughs> You're right. So we continued that, that process. And I, and I believe I'm totally definitely out of four. He yeah. helped me find my life again and start the healing 
you know, so I could start healing deep inside by dealing, healing all those other traumas. Right. Well, look at what he did. He got you to the point with the four where you were actually able to start to write your book about what you went through and what it's. So I'm going to ask, why were you inspired to write your book? And what would you like to tell us all about it? I've been mean, telling everybody as we're going, what a wonderful book it is. And <laughs> really, it's, it's, it's poignant and you and you really share what Cindy went through, but it also ends on a hopeful note and you can learn a lot from it. So tell us about your book. Tell everyone about your book, Cindy. Well, grief warrior. she really is a grief warrior. <laughs> <laughs> well, and grief can come in many forms. Yeah. Um, you know, I experienced many different forms of grief and many people do. Many people experience grief. And the one thing I do want to say is that every journey is unique. Every time, every journey has a, their own timeline and you process grief based on what you've gone through and how you grew up and your different life experiences and your relationship with the one you lost or the situation. So I, I guess I've always had this kind of feeling after going through the different things in my life that I wanted to write a book and people had commented, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. Well, after I lost my son, I started to kind of journal and writing was healing for me. And I thought, well, okay, maybe I will write this book. <laughs> oh, not as easy as I thought. <laughs> so I started writing it. I wrote it, the whole thing, and then I changed it. So I basically kind of started over. And I and felt you write beautifully, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And so I started over and I really, really wanted to the reader to understand, first of all, that there's different griefs in life. There's different traumas and it also accumulates. They accumulate. And I figured if they understood me and who I was and what I went through, that they could relate better to my story. So I, I kind of got into all the different aspects of my grief through the final um, ultimate loss of my son, which is what really brought me to my knees and how I, how I moved through that healing, um, the different tools that I used in my book, uh, where I got stuck, like I got stuck on regrets. That was a big one for me. You know, the shoulda, coulda, woulda's. Everybody has those. Was I a good enough mother? Did I help him enough? If I would have been home that night, just a few minutes sooner, I would have said, oh, don't go hunting. And he, you know, would he still be here? All those different things that I, all my mistakes in my life, I was hung up on them. And I would jump on this hamster wheel and I would process those things over and over, mm -hmm. beat myself up. And I couldn't get off that wheel for a long time. So I found different tools, which I what type of tools. I know you mentioned them in the book, but well, journaling was good. Um, I tried meditation. Meditation is good, but I couldn't calm this little busy monkey mind of mine long mm -hmm. enough. So I, I started to write. And the one of the things that really helped me, which I talk about and I give um, examples is soul writing or automatic writing. I really felt when I got to that point that he was communicating with me and I was able to like 
ask for forgiveness, ask for guidance, spill my heart, um, just go through all of my shortcomings and ask for, for, you know, forgiveness from him. And that was really healing for me. That really, really helped. Um, There was just so many different things that I did, but that was like really big. And being grateful. We'll talk about that a little bit later. That's big. It's big. And I remember reading about that and going, oh, yeah, right. (laughs) How can I be grateful right now? And then I just, as I got further in my path, I wanted to help others. So I would hear of a loss and I would reach out to someone. And to this day, there's nothing more satisfying than knowing that I helped someone because I feel that all these things weren't just placed in my path, that there was a reason, uh, even though I don't like to believe there was a reason for my son's loss, I still struggle with that one. But I believe I was supposed to learn from something from all the different traumas and share with others. So that was my reason for writing the book. And I hope that people, when they go through the book and they get to the other side, when they cross the river of grief, they will have found inspiration and many tools to help them on their journey. They will find it. And I think they'll find hope that no matter what they're going through, that they too can move through it. If you were able to move through what you moved through, that they can too. It's really uplifting when you when you see what you did. So since you know what it's like to hit rock bottom, and we're talking to people who have, many of them have hit rock bottom, and you're so deeply passionate about sharing all these tools you discovered for coping and thriving in life, and you talk about them in your book. Could you describe your individual and group grief support sessions that help people navigate their pain, explore helpful coping tools and find ways to heal. What a great coach you would be for somebody who's going through this because you've already tried it all yourself. You know, it works, you know, the possibilities. So what would you like to tell us about all of this? And do you do it online? Do you do it in person? How do you? Okay. Gosh, where do I start with this one? This is a great question. Um, I do it on mainly over the phone. I I would offer Zoom, but most people are comfortable at least just starting with a phone call because some some people aren't comfortable with allowing their emotions to flow, which of course we talk about that and that is hugely important for people to heal. They have to completely feel and allow themselves to to feel feel to heal. They have to right. cry. So the most important thing I can do is to walk beside somebody in their grief, listen to them, hear their story, help them discover things that will help them move forward. Everybody has things within them. A coach helps pull things out and finds these little nuggets to help someone move forward in their journey. It's completely different than a counselor. And if you're really struggling with grief, you I'm all for you need professional help all for it because you, I, I needed it. And a lot of people, when they get stuck, they need it, but I can help you move forward. Once you get to that point where you're, I need to, I need to get a grip on this and move forward in my, um, my life and going through the grief to gratitude coaching. 
I learned many different tools that I have my, my clients do, and it helps them kind of see and understand where they're at and how they can get to that next step. Have, do, you have, do you have an example of someone you've helped um, through your coaching programs? We don't want to we don't want to embarrass her and give her name, but is there anybody that you'd like to whose story you'd like to give us as an example? Well, um, yes, there is a, a lady that there's several several out of the people that I've helped, but one lady that really stands out um, who lost her husband, and they were just the they did everything together. They were in retirement. They did everything together. It was a sudden loss. And she reached out to me and I gave her, I did certain tools with her. Um, I had asked her what she wanted her life to look like and how do we get, you know, we talked about how do we get there and had her kind of visualize that. And then a lot of times I will ask if, if, if I can kind of see something, you know, may I make a suggestion and then I will make a suggestion. Well, she had sent me so many great emails afterwards on how I helped her so immensely um, move forward and just find that joy again in her life. So that just melted my heart just to be able to help her. Yes. Just to be able to help her. And they're just, and every situation is a little bit differently different, but ultimately you want to have them see that their life can be full of joy again. Well, you and I are perfect examples of that, right? I right. Mean, I was telling you before <laughs> with all that I went through and how much I'm enjoying my grandchildren now and all of that. But the other part about it is that when you do your healing work and you move through it, it's not just about you. It's all the people in your life who it helps. Right. And you're a role model for them and you're inspiring them also. So now that they're, everyone would like to know how to get a hold of you, Cindy, give us, give us all your contact information. And if you have any special offers for our audience, please share. Well, you can reach me um, through my website. It's Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, Bauman, B-A-U-M-A-N-N. And you can email me through there. You can um, visit my site. Um, if you want to email me, it's just Cindy, <clears throat> excuse me, Cindy at CindyBauman.com. Uh, you can find my book on Amazon, Grief Warrior by Cindy Bauman. And I would love to help somebody. I will offer a 15% discount and there will be a link in this podcast where you can receive a 15% discount on coaching services. If you mention uh, the grief and rebirth podcast or that the code would be grief and rebirth. That's fabulous. And, we, and everyone, we will make sure that when it's released, which you guys will be listening to it now, I'm sure you will see that there will be that link with the show notes and all. And um, thanks to all your healing work, I mean, Cindy, you've emerged stronger, wiser, and more grateful than you ever thought possible. But you say something that I found fascinating. You believe that having control of your life is an illusion. I kind of agree. Mm. And why do you feel that? And why is it important for a person to heal? Control. Oh, I thought I was in control. In fact, 
I remember a client of mine told me, you know, you're kind of a control freak, aren't you? I thought I could, if I worried enough about things or um, planned enough, I could control it. When I lost my son, I found out I have zero control. I have no control. I have to have faith. I have to, you know, believe. Um, yeah, I have absolutely no control in my life. So the only thing you control is your reactions to things. You can control your reactions and you can choose your, you can choose your outcome. You can be stuck in that grief and that pain forever because it's easy to do that. Or you can make the choice to heal. And so I had to choose to quit living with one foot on earth and one in heaven because that's what I was doing. And I had to plant both of my feet on earth. I had to make that, cho that choice. I had to choose to embrace life again. And like I said, it wasn't easy, but I had to, I had to make that choice. And once I made that choice and I, because I am determined <laughs> and I, you know, I, I fought hard enough through my journey, I got there. I was able to heal. I was able to find joy again. And for all the listeners out there, grief is a battlefield and you have to just keep fighting the fight. Some days I always said, you know, I didn't give my complete self. Maybe it was my incomplete, the incomplete me. But I got up and I fought the fight every single day because there will be joy if you if you keep fighting. And you will, at, at some point, you will smell that magnolia again. You will see the sun on, or feel the sun on your face and you'll catch yourself smiling. But and you have to do your work. You have to do your work. I, I when I first when I first lost my son, I thought I was a happy person. I thought I will never be happy again ever. And now I am happy. I laugh. I smile. I have joy again. I miss my son every single minute of every day, and he will always own a piece of my heart. But that love, that connection, lives forever, and heaven will be our gift together. And I will embrace him again. This is what I believe. Everybody has different beliefs, but I believe that I will see him again. And that love will be greater than it ever was. And you will. I, I You will. Um, yeah. And speaking of joy, you have a tip for finding joy in life. Does it have to do with healing or other things or being grateful? What is your tip for finding joy in life, Cindy? Well, my tip is that first you have to heal. You're not going to find joy if you don't heal. So you have to feel it. Don't distract yourself from it. Heal or feel to heal. Help others. You will find joy by helping others. And everybody says this. And I, like I said earlier, I didn't believe it. But that gratitude in your life. In the beginning, I tried to focus on three things. Because that's all I could really focus on that I was grateful for at night. And I swear, I said the same three things for a very long time. <laughs> and then I started to expand my list. And now I, you know, I, I, I pray. That's another thing. I pray at night. I pray during the day and I am grateful. And I thank God for the blessings in my life, little and big, because they're there. They're there. They're there. And I, I'm so blessed to, you know, I'm so blessed with so many things in my life. 
you know, I think and I wouldn't be, go ahead. I, I would not give up. I mean, the relationship I had with my son, I know I hurt so deeply because I loved him so much. I wouldn't give that up. No, of course not. Well, you remind me of you have your other three um, beautiful sons. And I yes. remind me of when I did all my healing work and all my son said to me one day, mom, there's been nothing worse than seeing you in total despair and nothing better than seeing you being able to have joy again. Hmm. Yeah. And I think you're experiencing the same thing. Yes, I am. I am. And, and the other thing I should have pointed out too is in my book, there's a chapter called In the Words of Others. And there's other tips in there about from what others went through on their grief journey, which I think was a, I think it's a good chapter. And it's, it's nice to see what other people learned and how they healed as well. So. It's very uplifting. It really, it really, if people are going through a hard time, it, it really is inspiring for them to read your book and know that, yes, I can, I can get through this too. I, yes. I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. Cindy, your, your, your memoir, Grief Warrior is remarkable. Oh. And in it, you shared the, you. such an inspiring journey through intense gut-wrenching grief to healing, transformation, and rebirth. Where you once saw courage as being fearless in the face of big business deals, you now find it in helping others battle through the darkness after losing a loved one or helping them transition through the confusing and sometimes frightening crossroads in their lives. Thank you for guiding people on these challenging journeys through life so that they can embrace wonderful new possibilities in their lives. And thank you from my heart for this truly meaningful and touching interview. And thank here's you. a, thank you. And here's Thanks, a loving, me. oh, my pleasure. And really to be continued as I like to say. And here's oh. a loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all grief and rebirth podcast episodes on irenweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and especially on YouTube, like, subscribe, and hit notify to make sure you will get the inspiring new interviews like this one with Cindy coming your way. Thank you. And as I like to say, to be continued, many blessings. And bye for now. Mm -hmm.